It's today. Today is the last Friday of August. And it was pointed out to me earlier this week that uh, we have a hundred and now today, 123 days till shopping. So get your shopping started uh, till Christmas, I mean. So I am very excited. I have three incredible women uh, on this show today, and they all are celebrating life. They are celebrating theater. They are celebrating uh, life. And I've always said, and I truly believe this, that if everybody began every single day with a show tune, there would be no strife in the world. And boy, does Mary Lottie prove that. Mary, you didn't know I was going to open with that? I did not. I did not know that. <laughs> well, you know, it's one of my top 10 favorite uh, show tunes. That's and why I shared it. I know. And I'm so thrilled that you sent it to me. Um, I want to begin by asking who or what did you celebrate today prior to today's show? I uh, celebrated the fact that I'm actually going, I was getting ready to uh, visit my brother in San Francisco. So I completed just about everything I needed to do in preparation. So that, and mainly the second part was celebrating getting ready for this. Well, when was the last time that you saw your brother? Last August. So it'll be a year. Well, so it's so the I have a photograph birthday. of the two of you together from last year. So here it is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we haven't changed a bit. You haven't changed a bit. Uh, you know, I asked for a photograph of uh, all of our guests today because those who know the show know that I always ask for a photograph around five. I think you're a little younger than five here. Uh, but this is, to me, it's the purest self. It's before life begins to tell you who you are, who you should be, who you shouldn't be. What do you think of when you see this photograph here? And I absolutely love this photo. Well, it, <laughs> it, I remember loving my little brother, who's the, the one I'm going to be visiting. And I, he was just so cute to me as, as a young kid. I think I was four there. And as a young kid, I just adored him. And then I had my, cause my brother was uh, about uh, five, seven years older than us. So he always was, you know, all going up to school and doing his thing. But then as we got older, I became very, very close to my older brother. So we were all very, very close. Now, all three of our guests today um, are all from California. Oh, uh, not. And I know that you grew up in the Haight-Asbury uh, Asbury section of San Francisco. Yes. Um, and as you say in your bio, which I do my research, mm -hmm. uh, that you grew up before the hippies invaded the area. So, but one of the things that I loved reading in your bio that is so apropos for this particular show 
is the fact that you loved walking past the store windows and seeing them change uh, the stores for all of the holidays. Um, and you think that that instilled in you, you, you decorate your house for every single holiday. Every month. Every month. Every month and they I, change the theme. I have friends, uh, Carol and Dee, if they're watching, and they do the same thing. It just kind get, of changes things up and, you know, and I get cards from them for St. Patrick's Day and they remember anniversaries and everything. And for me, my grandmother was the same way. We, she celebrated every single holiday to the hilt. I mean, um, nowadays, Halloween is running neck and neck with Christmas as far as decorations are concerned. But my grandmother was doing that long before everyone else was doing this. So did your family also decorate the house or is this something that you instilled in yourself as you got older? Our family didn't do it that much, but it was something that ever since um, in, in elementary school, arts and crafts was my thing. So in school, you would do arts and crafts for various holidays. And that stuck with me. And I would always raise my hand as the one, can I decorate the bulletin board? Can I design this? Can I decorate this? So that's been with me the whole time. Didn't you love those days when you were in school and decorating yeah. the, if you got the, I don't know what it was like where you grew up. I grew up in South Carolina, but if we got the opportunity to decorate the bulletin board in the classroom with a, a crepe paper, construction mm -hmm. paper, and all of that. It was a big deal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, and it had the themes. Um, and so it was always exciting. And it also made the time go by fast, too. And it created a whole different sort of memories. Well, we're going to bring on our next guest in just a moment. But before we do, I just want to say congratulations. You came on the show once before. Uh, at the last minute, it was a surprise thing. And we <laughs> did a, a whole show, just the two of us. <laughs> that was but it was a lot of fun for me. But I've known you for quite some time. Uh, you and I uh, got to know each other uh, originally through uh, Wednesday nights at the Iguana when I yes. hosted that with Dana Lorge. Um, I just got back just a couple of weeks ago uh, from Provincetown. And the last time that I performed in Provincetown, are you ready for this, Mary? was 13 years ago. No, was that long ago? It was that long ago. And you and Jim, your wonderful husband, um, you came to Provincetown to be there for me and to support me. And not only that, you were at every show, you were sewing costumes when they were falling apart and everything. And if I live to be 5,000 years old, I will never thank you enough because I'm going to tear up thinking about this because you really showed what the epitome of being a friend is all about. The fact that you two were there and you were there to support me and we're not going to go into it. There were yeah. extenuating circumstances behind the scenes that were not, it was not a pleasant time for me, uh, but you made it pleasant. And so I want to say thank you for being very that. welcome. And don't, <laughs> I still remember when Jim crawled up to the stage to hold up the hem so we could yeah. fix it for you. <laughs> I don't think he looked under your dress. But. Well, it's okay if he did. This was <laughs> during the days of uh, of uh, when I was performing as Carol. Um, one of the things that I do on my Friday shows is I have um, 
some cards laid out so that I've got a mystery question for you. And I actually put out eight cards today. So pull a number one through eight. Uh, it'll be your mystery card and we'll see where this takes us. And then we're going to talk about our next guest in just a moment. Oh, let's do five. It's my favorite number. Mine too. Ooh. Yes. So it says share something vulnerable with someone that you care about to deepen your connection. So no one's watching. It's just you and me. Share something vulnerable now about yourself that you've always wanted to share with others, but you never have for whatever reasons. Oh, um, I'm getting better about doing that, about sharing myself, but it's still, it's, it's still, a li- I, I, I consider myself an open person, but I'm really not. I I'm like, I'm very, I'm very protective. So I'm like um, an open person with the curtains closed where I'm peeking through it. And once I gain your trust, then I open them up for you. So I like to give the impression that I'm an open person, but I'm still very cautious and closed at the same time. Well, that's a vulnerable aspect that we know about you now. Yeah. So question, growing up, who were two influences on you musically whose music you listen to around the house hmm i my mother used to listen to country and western and it wasn't my favorite but she had the country and western radio stations on my older brother had a variety the beatles uh the ventures i mean we're going way back so he always influenced me on on the beach boys and all that um and then so I just became, and also classical. So I was exposed to all sorts of music and became a lover of all sorts of music. So I, I guess th- they were the initial influence. And then the Ed Sullivan show. Well, our next guest, and I bring this up because I, I have met her through uh, virtual, uh, the world of the uh, virtual reality, I guess it is. Uh, We've never met physically, but she's been influenced by both Judy Garland. If you have to ask Judy who or Nat who, uh, this is not the show for you. But she was influenced by both Judy and Nat. And before I bring her on, I want to share a little clip of her performing as well. Uh, And here she is. Uh, And I think this is uh, at the Gardenia. Well, that was a quick clip, and here she is. That's your band, Angela. That is my band. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Meet Mary. Thank you so much for having me on, Richard and Mary. Very nice to meet you. Same, thanks. Great band. (laughs) First of all, about this band, um, if I remember correctly, I think you told me that you started out playing the oboe. Yeah, I was originally a classical uh, musician, and uh, I played the oboe in... um, 
other reeds, like I played saxes and flute and stuff. And so that was my original uh, musical journey was to do that. At some point I kind of decided I probably didn't want a life in symphonic music. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of where I was headed because oboe is a very specific instrument. Um, and so I ended up kind of uh, doing musical theater, right? Which is music and, and theater mixed kind of. So I thought I was getting the best of both worlds. And you also grew up in California. Yeah. Uh, where exactly did you grow up? And tell us a little bit about your childhood. I also have a photograph of you at five years of age. I'm going to bring this up here. And uh, as Mary said, you have the same smile. You haven't changed a bit. And <laughs> you are. I love this picture. Yeah, I know. I, uh, I tried to get bigger lapels, but they didn't have any. <laughs> so what can you tell us about this little girl and uh, and her dreams? at five years of age or about how old are you in this photograph? I think this is second grade. Um, interestingly enough, I'm still friends with um, my classmates from first and second grade. And one of my classmates that lives in Tokyo came on and corrected me. I said third and he was like, no, that was second grade. I love that, that my classmates from second grade are still on Facebook with me. Um, so my, you know, music has, was really my first love. When I was in kindergarten, I had a little tiny guitar that like fits a child. And I started playing like folk songs and things like that in like kindergarten. And then as soon as school band came on in like third or fourth grade, that's when I started playing wind instruments. Um, it was always music for me. Music was kind of my solace and my inspiration. It was something I just absolutely glommed onto. To me, it almost, felt like I uh, had done it in another life, for lack of a better way of saying it, like it was so familiar to me. Um, you know, I have not been, I wouldn't say the typical kind of precocious, ambitious child. I just actually really loved music. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't and, about like dreams of stardom for me. Judy and Matt, so how did this particular show come together that you are currently doing? Uh, it's, it hasn't happened yet, it's coming up. It's, um, there's a new venue in Los Angeles, which is very exciting, called the Write-Off Room, and it's right in the center of Studio City. Well, I found you, by the way, Angela. Yeah. So I will say the Write-Off Room, um, they are doing a boffo job in terms of marketing the artists that they are booking there. Uh, I, you know, it's a, it's a love fest with myself and the people at the write-off room. It is so hard to do music and theatrical endeavors these days. Um, and so the people that you do those endeavors with are so important, um, because it is so hard and there is so little money to be made no matter what you do. So I love the people. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and so and so for me uh two things there are two very separate things i grew up with a very musical family and uh my mom had a judy garland record that had uh kind of like a smattering of her different um tunes from different eras on it and uh, you know from don't rain on my parade to uh somewhere over the rainbow and I grew up listening to that record and I listened to that thing until I bore grooves into it. Uh, there was something about her voice um, to me that still inhabits everybody in this life who's a dreamer. Mm -hmm. So I sang Somewhere Over the Rainbow a couple of months ago and it seems such a 
um, a bizarre choice in our kind of skeptical Los Angeles uh, uh, audience. And yet, when I said to people, this is a song about dreamers and about hope, um, suddenly it resonated. And to me, there's something about the way that she sings um, that makes me feel very inspired and hopeful. And uh, so she inspires me that way. And Nat King Cole is a totally different thing for me. I started kind of, the sound of his voice for one thing is just beyond magic, right? If anybody could capture the vulnerability and the realness that he does when he performs, a um, reluctant singer, um, I don't even know that anyone ever has to me. And interesting, he just has a fascinating life to me. He was an activist before activism was a thing. Um, he, uh, but, a but, a interesting activist and effective activist. So he didn't fight the fight when you couldn't be one. He fought the fight long-term, uh, very, very interesting man. Uh, he was the kind of man that inspired when he played in the South and they wouldn't let him stay in the hotel that he was singing in. His whole band loved him so much that they went to his side of town and stayed. Um, that's a very fascinating character to me. Um, so not only is his music inspirational to me, um, but I find his character inspirational. That's incredible. And I want to do a shout out to Wilfried Wald. He has an amazing book on Nat King Cole. I don't know if you've read it or not. I will. And the interview that I did with uh, Will is on demand on my YouTube channel. So check oh, fantastic. out. fantastic. Uh, but you also, uh, I have another photo here. Um, well, congratulations to all of you who survived the hurricane last weekend. Thank uh, you. This has been rescheduled. And tell us about this show. So we're lucky enough to play, uh, again, at a really amazing venue that's out in a little town uh, that's a bit east of Pasadena called Monrovia. And it's a little bar called The Poor House in Monrovia. And, you know, we've just developed a relationship with the owner of that show. And we play there about maybe every other month, sometimes every month. And um, it's a place where we, since it's a smaller venue and it's not set up for live music in the way that a club is, uh, we play a lot of really jazzier stuff. One of the interesting things about having put together an octet is it can sound a little like big band and it can sound a little like jazz. And so we actually kind of thread that needle in this place, the poor house where we're playing this coming Sunday. Um, we'll be playing kind of our jazzier sets. So we do a couple sets while people eat their brunch. Well, we're about to bring on our next guest, but before we do so, um, there are seven mystery cards laid out. So pull the number one through seven. Seven. And the question or statement is, which emotion do you struggle with the most and why? And I'm going to ask, because we, I, I'm all about the arts. In this business, we all, all of, I th think I can speak for Mary. I know I can speak for myself. Um, our emotions are up and down based on how the wind changes in this business. What is the biggest emotion that you find that you struggle with in this business and what gets you through it? Uh, for me, the biggest emotion, uh, my last name is O'Neill, and so the biggest emotion that I struggle with is my temper. Oh. And um, I think the, in, in the way that I cope with it, which I think is the second uh, part of the question, is um, I try to follow the example of Nat King Cole, and I don't fight a fight unless I feel like there's something that productive that can come out of it. 
what a great lesson uh, to come from that. Well, I'm going to bring on our next guest. I absolutely, she truly is, and I'm not just saying this because she's on the show today, but she's one of my favorite artists around these days. Um, she has a phenomenal show, um, and she performed at the Gardenia last uh, Saturday night uh, in the midst of a hurricane coming in. From what I understand, she did very well. Uh, and it's about uh, riding the bus to the red carpet. I'll let her tell you a little bit about this, but it is an amazing show. Uh, she won the Bistro Award earlier this year. And everybody who's watching the show, look at this poster. Saturday, October 21st at 7 p.m. at Don't Tell Mama. I will be getting a group of people there. This will be my second time to see the show live. Join me and you'll thank me because it is such an incredible show. And here she is. Therese, I am so glad that you're here today. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. It's, I'm always thrilled every time you say yes to coming back. Um, <laughs> tell us what the experience was for you uh, last Saturday night prepping to do a show when the rest of us uh, here on the East Coast, we were being told that California was about to float off into the ocean. Um, it was stressful. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I was, it was funny because I wasn't worried about the show. I was worried about uh, people coming and feeling guilty because I knew my some friends would show up and I was just praying that it wouldn't start raining. Um, I had some friends who drove in from Highland, which is towards Palm Springs, which is the part that got the worst of it. Mm -hmm. And they came and then got home just in time for the rain. But God bless them. They were there. Karen and Dennis, thank you very much for coming. So, um, you know, I mean, everybody that showed it. So it made me so appreciate all the people that did come in and, uh, you know, that's a sentence you never thought you'd say in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, I didn't think people were coming because of the hurricane. You know, it's a little crazy. So, Are you of the uh, school of the show must go on? And uh, if yes or no, and what are those circumstances where you say, I actually don't think that we should go forward tonight with this. Thank God you did the show because no one was in harm's way. Um, let's put that out there, first of all. And you did have a great audience and people were able to get there and enjoy the show. So but when do you make the decision that I need to say, no, this may not be the right time to do this? Oh, if it had been raining, I would have, if it had started raining, I would have canceled it, you know, mm -hmm. um, because I wouldn't have want anybody to do that. I mean, it, your question reminds me, uh, uh, 30 years ago, a long time ago, not quite 30 years ago, I was doing a baby in Santa Monica and a friend of mine had just passed away from AIDS after a long illness. And I went and sang at his funeral in North Carolina and then came back and ran on stage to do the show. And in, and at the scene, at a scene change, uh, I walked off, I, I thought I was walking off stage and I walked off the end into the and fell into the orchestra pit. And God. I jumped up. I didn't know if I'd broken my leg, but I, I had a rather big part and I just jumped up and ran backstage. It was so dark. Nobody saw me do that. And today, as a much older woman, I probably would have been like, I just fell off the stage. Maybe we need to stop for a moment. But I just kept going, you know, and that um, I mean, I think there's you have every right to 
to stop the show in moments like that. I mean, you know, personal health is pretty important. Well, I will share with you that years ago, and I think she was probably 85, 86 at the time, but I went to see Marilyn May. And oh. she was performing at the Palace Theater in Stamford, Connecticut, Black Box Theater. And uh, Billy Stritch was at the piano. She walked out and she tripped on a cord and fell flat on her face. And of course, the entire collect, there was a collective hold your breath from the entire audience. And uh, she said, let's do that one more time. And she got herself up, she walked off, she came on, she did the entire show. But after the show that night, she was black and blue. I mean, she was in excruciating pain, which of course the audience never saw while she was doing the show. So um, like I've done with both Angela and Mary, um, I have a photograph of you. Uh, yes, and I, again, the smile is there. You haven't changed a bit. What can you tell us about this little girl? Um, she was, uh, I have to say that I was a very mystical little kid. I, um, I wanted to be a nun. I don't know why I feel like I want to share that, but I mean, from the time I was a little girl like that, I just thought nuns were like the thing. And, um, <laughs> and I just love going well, to church. May I ask about what the time frame was? Was this like sound of music time where that was the... You know what? And a nun story. Like, I think, oh, okay. I mean, I, I don't know that I'd seen that musical either. I, you know, I'd seen the musical or I had seen that movie, but, um, but there was just something, I don't know. I loved, I loved church. I was a very like spiritual little kid. And, um, you know, and I feel sad that that, that kind of has, uh, you know, life goes on and you, um, and you get a little disillusioned about things. I was always, I always believed in, in magic and things like that. And, um, I think you have to look for that the older you get, you know, to allow yourself to have that faith again. I'm going to paraphrase the line, but my favorite line in the movie, believe it or not, is when Eleanor Parker uh, says to uh, Christopher Plummer, there's a young woman upstairs and something tells me she's not going to be a nun. <laughs> She'll never be a nun. She'll yeah. never be a nun. And, but I, I, you know, but I, I can understand, you know, going into that world, uh, you know, of wanting to be uh, a part of that world. Uh, but I'm glad that you chose the path uh, that you did. Um, you and I have spoken a few times, but I mean, this year, finding out that you won the Bistro Award, being a part of that, uh, you put your heart and soul into a project, uh, like Mary winning the Mac Award as well with her show. Uh, you don't do it for the awards, but when the awards come along, it's it's validation from the industry that, yes, you've earned the right to now call yourself award winner, and that will never be taken away from you. So what was that aspect like for you? Uh, adding to all the other accolades that you've achieved this year? You know, part of it, I, I mean, I, I'm so I'm so honored, but there's still a part of me that's like, well, how big can it be? I mean, I won, you know, like it's, there's still that part of me that, that doesn't like myself to the point of, and I've always, I, I probably shouldn't have said that. I, I was so honored, but there was also that voice inside of my head that says, you know, you're nothing special. And that whenever anything good happens, that just gets louder and louder. I feel like I was just a little bit too vulnerable right there, but, but that's, uh, um, 
because it was such a big deal. And it took me until I got home, you know, going to New York and, and getting the award and having that whole experience to like come home and go, oh, wow, that was a big deal. That was a really big deal. And sometimes it just takes me a while to let that in. Does that make any sense? It makes perfect sense. I listened to an interview yesterday with Joan Rivers. And Joan Rivers talked, she said everything that's happened in her career, she's had to claw her way to get it. I mean, even when she did uh, Broadway Bound on Broadway, she replaced Linda Lavin and I saw her do it. She was phenomenal. She flew herself to New York on her own dime because nobody believed that she could do it uh, because she was Joan Rivers, the comedian, and they didn't think that she could do these other aspects. I think we unfortunately live in a world where people try to pigeonhole us. And I think that has a lot to do with us believing, uh, you know, questioning um, our body of worth, as I like to refer to it, when these things do come along. Um, but I'm going to ask you, there are six cards laid out, so pull your card, and then we're going to have a little round robin about the creative process with all of you. Okay, uh, number six. Uh, number six, and your card is... Um, and I already know the answer. I think I know the answer to this. Uh, but in your own words, how are you doing good in the world now when it comes to the world of entertainment? And how do you feel about the level of impact that you're currently making? And don't feel that you're not making an impact because you are. No, no, thank you. No, that's that's the part of me. But I, I have to say, because I talk about some stuff in my show, you know, I talk about being a survivor of sexual abuse in my show. And there's always, every time... Um, I do the show, there's one person who comes up to me and thanks me for talking about it. And I feel like that's, um, that's the whole reason I'm, you know, like that's what makes it, that gives me the courage to keep talking. Cause it, 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 it's hard every time. Like every time I go, oh, wow, I'm going to talk about this again, you know, but, uh, but then it gives someone else permission to say me too. And, and thank you. Cause that, you know, that makes them feel better that they're not alone. So I think that's, it's that language of the heart that you're talking about, right? It's those connections. It's those things yeah. that tie us all together. So I put together some questions based on my own writings. I, you know, I am a real follower of Julia Cameron, who wrote uh, The Artist's Way. Yep. I do my uh, morning pages every morning. And each morning, one of the things that I've been doing is I try to tie in books on inspiration and creativity and pull them together. So the questions that I have for all of you are based on my own morning uh, ritual of uh, writing and everything for those who are tuning in for the first time. And I'm gonna start with you, Mary. And the question is, um, what did you discover about yourself um, in the last year when it comes to your performing? Um, and I know that uh, you, uh, at one time, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you you got pulled back in to do it again uh, when you got the nomination and eventually the award. And thank God, because that gave me the chance to see the show. Uh, but what did you learn about yourself through your show? And uh, for those of you who did not see Mary's shows, um, you had all of these moments in your life and career uh, that are... Um, and correct me if I have the wrong wording here, uh, almost if, you know, that you almost were going on as the leading lady only to have someone else get the part. And all these moments where it seemed like the rug was constantly being pulled from underneath you. And 
an evening like that could be a real Debbie Downer type of an evening. But you truly made it into this inspirational evening of hope and optimism. And I hope that there is a, a future with that show because it was brilliant. Oh, thank so, you. Thank what you. What did you learn about yourself through the past year? I I would say one, one thing, especially with this show, was and in learning about how cabaret is and how being vulnerable and being in front of people is my thought process is always how am I going to make people feel good and and send my message out and I had to change that I had to stop thinking about showing them how they should feel and I learned that just being yourself was enough to instill whatever somebody else out there is feeling it could be perhaps you're joyous and you're you're just being joyous and that joy is coming across in different ways so i had to learn you don't have to try to do something a certain way to show somebody how you feel or how they should feel let them feel it themselves and that became freeing in, in performing so that I, of course you want to hone it in and and my goal was to not make it a downer so I had to make sure that the shape and form was so that it was a more pleasant experience, but that was basically it. Shape it, form it, but then still be yourself. And that took a long time to learn how to be myself, be, especially coming from the actor world where you follow scripts. This was different, but it was, it was probably, this last show was probably the most freeing and the most rewarding of anything I've done. Are there plans to do it again? <laughs> Probably not, but I, I don't say never anymore. Okay. Well, there are a couple of venues that were mentioned in the show today that you yeah. should check into. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, Angela, how uh, has your appearances in the past year, um, how, how do you find uh, the venues that you perform at, for those who may be watching, and what advice do you give to people in terms of uh, marketing and promoting yourself, and are you hands-on when it comes to that aspect of your career? Uh, let's see. So um, one of the reasons I actually started the Outrageous 8 was because uh, it felt like a calling to me um, to make it so that singers and musicians actually get paid mm -hmm. for doing what they do. Um, it feels like the line has been blurred between um, people uh, doing a music and and stuff for um, kind of a hobby and people doing it for a living. And so my uh, my goal with putting this band together was to uh, create a small enough band that we could fit into a little bit smaller venues. And I insist on the musicians being paid. Um, so for me, uh, my criteria for playing at a venue is that they will pay the musicians what they deserve to be paid. And, uh, and the only way to do that, uh, because it has meant that there have been a few dramatic scenes. Um, oh. owners of oh, that's, that's where the temper comes in. <laughs> and that's where the temper tampered down comes in. Um, but everybody in the band is always like, I kind of wouldn't want to meet you in a dark alley. Um, <laughs> I, have had to, I have had to go toe to toe uh, with a few people um, to get them to pay what they promised to pay the band. Wow. Um, you know, and it's amazing in this business, and that's why so many of our artistic, I mean, actors and writers are on strike right now. Yes. Um, I was listening to an interview earlier today um, 
from Rose Marie from the um, Dick Van Dyke show. Her daughter was speaking. Um, she never got residuals for the Dick Van Dyke show. And the Dick Van Dyke show still to this day is shown. And she would get residual checks for some appearances like on ALF, uh, that would be eight cents. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And these producers on the other end are making lots of money and then they can understand why the artists are so upset with where they are right now. Well, but and one of the things I've learned over the years is that a lot of it has to do with setting precedence. Um, if people will work for fee free, people will work for free. And, um, and one of the positive things I want to say is there are a couple of venues like the write-off room in, uh, that we're doing that, uh, Judy and Nat at, uh, we've played at Campus Jacks um, in Newport Beach, which is a huge jazz club that we've played at a bunch of times. Um, those people are on the same, they are on the same mission that I am. Um, which is to really make sure that everyone gets paid a living wage. Um, that is one way to do a big universal, uh, set a big universal precedent for the future. For people who are coming up in the music industry, they have a hard time having hope that there's anything to do with your musical talent. Um, so my hope is to leave a little bit of that behind. Well, God bless you because, you know, uh, you're singing my song and dance. Uh, I believe that we are our worst enemy in this business, uh, and I'm talking about the artist, who will allow this to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and as long as you allow it to happen, trust me, it's gonna happen. Yes. Um, uh, so, Therese, uh, you, uh, as we've already mentioned, won the Bistro Award this year. Um, and uh, do you feel that winning the award, and you're gonna be coming to New York, I will also add, uh, to do your show again, you're going to be part of the uh, New York City um, uh, Cabaret Convention. So congratulations to that as well. Do you yeah. feel that having these two uh, check marks next to your name make it easier or harder for you in this business? You know, it's so weird because I don't know where to go from here. Like. Like, I want to do something new, but I'm not quite sure how to even start, you know? Um, and so I think, because you do start to think like, okay, how do I follow this up, you know? But um, and but also, it's all just so amazing to me because I gave up on this a, a long time ago. Like, I just never, I really had given up on all of it. And so this all feels like icing on the cake. It's so... Um, it's so amazing, you know, so I'm so grateful. I just feel the gratitude I feel that they've allowed me to be part of the New York community. It just, it's amazing. So I'm so grateful for that, you know? Oh, good, 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 good. Uh, Mary, um, how did the show that you just did, uh, how did it come about? I, it was, I was feeling like I was ready to do another show based on the 10 years I had spent learning and seeing other people's shows and saying, I'm ready to try to take what I've learned and see if I've improved and tell my story. Because one of the things that came up uh, from one of my acting my casting agents said, what is a show that has a song in it or what shows would you still like to do at this time? And thinking about that made me realize well, I'm a little older, so the, all the ones I wanted to do that I had the opportunity to do, wait, that I had the opportunity to do was cast in, but got taken away from me. Wait, 
there's a lot of them. Wait, there's a story. But it wasn't just the story. It was all they were wacky, wacky stories. So I thought instead of, and then I said, well, I'll do a song from each show that I didn't get to do. But then in looking at each show, I realized the songs in the show told the story of what happened. So I didn't have to do that particular song. And it just pretty much developed and I had a blast with it. It's just like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Nobody believed it, but it was all true. No, and it's a fun show. Just love it. Thank um, you. Angela, I mean, we've gotten a sense of your tenacity and uh, going, you know, in just <laughs> a few moments that I've gotten to know you. But what is holding you back, if anything, in this industry, in today's world? You know, I mean, um, I guess I would say I don't think there's anything holding us back except for I feel like there's a disconnect uh, between uh, streaming and, and the general public understanding that uh, artists don't get paid for that. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing really holding us back. I actually think we're doing great. My, my band and I and artists in general, I think, are putting together amazing inspirational work, in, including Mary and Therese. Um, and I feel like that is not really, there's nothing really being held back except for that disconnect. Um, I told somebody recently, um, we have a website, AngelaMayOneal.com, and people can go and digitally download um, but they're literally say to me, well, I have Spotify and Spotify pays you guys. So what difference does it make? Uh, well, no, that's it. That's incorrect. And so I try to reeducate people to try and understand that those companies have written contracts, which apply some of them to the big studios, uh, the big uh, recording studios. Sometimes they pay those very famous artists. But as far as artists that aren't quite as famous, literally you make almost like point zero 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 nine eight, um, and so it literally, I would say, holding us back, not really, but I think it's a kind of a lack of education on the part of the general public to understand that artists don't get paid, and that's true of why we're on strike right now, right? Right. And Taylor Swift actually bought back all of her albums. Are you are you aware of this? Can you say it again. Taylor Swift yes. bought back all of her albums. I was aware of that. So I'm just following that very closely, actually. Wow. And uh, we'll talk off camera sometime. Uh, Mary knows my story, uh, <laughs> but I I uh, got very I got burned very badly in this business, um, and uh, I can't really uh, publicly talk about it. Uh, right. But so I think that's what's holding back artists in general is that disconnect that people don't necessarily understand. Um, like I tried to tell venues when we go work there, I go so. It took four rehearsals of two hours a piece for us to come and do this show for you. And I paid $1,000 for arrangements and I paid the band and I paid for the rehearsal space. And they're like, it blows their minds. So I just think it's a matter of connecting the dots. Angela, I have to ask you, are they listening to you? You know, I think they are because again, there's a reason to tamp down the temper when people don't listen to you at the very first. If you are able to establish a rapport with people, I think that the message is easier for them to hear. Wow, good for you. God bless you. I want you in my corner. Um, uh, so Therese, are there things, you know, you've already mentioned, and I'm in the same boat that you're in right now, Therese, because I'm trying to figure out what's next for me. Uh, and trying to reinvent myself as I come back to do life appearances again. Um, but what scares you 
about where we currently are in this industry? What scares me? Yes. Um, I actually have a lot of hope about uh, what's going on because of the work that I see happening. It, it seems to me like people are getting more honest and more uh, and more daring. Like it, it's unfortunate that the people aren't getting paid, uh, and I hope and I think they're going to work this out. But like the work that we see on television is just like nothing we've ever nothing's ever been seen before. It's pretty amazing, and mm -hmm. I and I think um, so. I I think I don't know. I think people are getting much more honest. So I actually don't feel afraid. I feel, uh, I feel hopeful, which seems kind of, there's just, there's a lot of work to be had if you get out there and get after it. Right. But, but there's so much more work now for people of all, you know, you don't have to look a certain way or be a certain way. You can just go out and do your thing. And there's, there's a place for you. It feels like there's a place for me, which I never thought there was. So, yeah. Well, that's great. I love that. Um, Mary, when it comes to your art, where do you find that you find your most of your wisdom? <laughs> My wisdom. <laughs> oh, um, wow. Well, you're a great. I, you know, I, I mean, basically, I would say I'm inspired by other people. Mm. You know, it's it. It really is. I, I I used to try to want to be like other people. And that's another thing that I discovered in myself later on, just like, I don't, ha you don't have to be like somebody else, be yourself because there's something valuable in everybody instead of trying to mirror somebody else. So I've learned a lot by watching other people and realize, Ooh, I like that aspect of them. They make me feel this way and just enjoy it. So I guess just really by other people, really. I love that. Uh, and I feel the same way. Uh, Angela, how did you feed your soul this week? when it comes to your art? Feed my soul. Oh, that's such a fun question. Um, you know, I, um, it's, it's frustrating being, um, so on um, the other side of like the money earning in my life, I'm a prop master in, in film and television. And of course we're on strike and I support the strike hundred percent and it had to be done. Unfortunately, it was one of those things that had to happen in the course of history. So now is as good a time as any. Um, but I haven't worked since March. Um, and so it's five, five months or so without, um, paychecks. And, you know, I, I found myself about a week ago or so being just like, I feel antsy, you know, like stir crazy a little bit. And, um, and so for me, the way I feed my soul is, uh, that can be a very self-defeating behavior for me to feel that like frustration and there's nothing I can do. So when I feel that way, um, I bake for my neighbors. Hmm. Um, so I, uh, have, <laughs> I had so much basil. I know you want to sit and live next to me now. I had so much basil. So I actually made fresh pesto for all of my neighbors. And, um, and it, if nothing else, it distracted me from how antsy and frustrated I was feeling like there was nothing I could do. Um, I find that a very productive behavior. Um, if you can do something for someone else, at least for the moment, it distracts you from your own. And a lot of times when you come back to whatever the problem was that was bothering you, it kind of self revolves, resolves, or you have new perspective. So that's what I do. I try to do something for somebody else. I love that. Uh, and I'm in the same boat and you'll hear my closing remarks later. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, Carice, uh, 
with the show that you've done so far. Uh, name three highlights, things that stand out for you beyond getting the Bistro Award. Uh, three true highlights that stand out uh, with this particular show. Things that you're grateful for. Oh, um, I'm well. The the that it was done during the pandemic, uh, so that um, I had some place to be and something to work on, you know. And that Doug let me come to his house so we could rehearse with Jeff over Zoom. You know, that was that was amazing to have that whole process going on. Um, getting to realize my dream of doing a show in New York, you know, and having. Uh, my high school, no, my college roommates uh, fly in from, you know, California to be there. And yeah. some friends of mine from my neighborhood also flying out there to be there. So like a bunch of my friends from California wanted to be there to, to see it. And, and just the, um, and then the, uh, the friends that I have now in New York that were like, we love you, you need to be here, you know, <laughs> and having this uh, feeling of being loved and wanted on, both sides of the country it's it's uh it's very nice it's lovely oh and we do want you here um mary um would uh you would um out of the shows that are currently going on so we're gonna uh put three shows that you would love to be a guest on oh um like what shows i'm uh, the live shows in New York, shows that you've seen that you would love to actually be oh, a guest in their show. You mean like Broadway shows? Uh, no, uh, cabaret shows. Oh, oh, so, oh, cabaret shows. Oh, 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 wow. There's, um, oh, well, okay. Only because it's at the top of my, my head. Um, the uh, one that Jeff Harner is doing. And um, just because it came right. And then, and now that, you know, Teresa's on. Hey, you need a backup <laughs> singer? <laughs> uh, you mean the New York Cabaret Convention? Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then also, oh, you mean that kind of show? Yes. Any show. Any show. Oh, all right. And then also, I always tease those girls. Okay. I always tease them and say, I should be your backup singer. Mm. So <laughs> if you don't know the, those girls, it's a, it's a four, five, four? Four. Four. And I always tease that I'm going to be their back, their one backup singer for the, the four girls. Yes. They haven't asked me, invited me yet, but I'm still hoping. Well, <laughs> I, you better be watching. We'll get that out. Let's there. see. <laughs> oh, so, Angela, um, and uh, I'm going to flip the question for you. Uh, with your band, who would be your dream guest that you would love to sit in and sing with your band? Oh, my gosh. I mean... Hmm. I'll tell you, um, a couple of the things that have been really, I mean, wonderful questions, Richard. I have to tell you, it's been so fun just watching, being a part of the show. And I want to thank you so much for bringing me on. Some of the artists who, over the course of my life, they've been really inspired by their writing. Um, is we did a cover, a cover on our last album of a song called New York Minute, written by Don Henley. I love this song. Mm -hmm. yes. mm -hmm. And uh, I, I mean, it's on Spotify, sadly. Um, so uh, you can listen to it on there. But that was that that song um, was inspired by the fact that one of my best friends actually passed away from COVID. Mm -hmm. and it happened so fast. 
And to be able to write lyrics like that, I would, I mean, Don Henley. Okay, so Don Henley's one. Um, I'm also inspired very much by uh, Bonnie Raitt. Um, mm -hmm. We did a cover of I Can't Make You Love Me on uh, another record that I produced uh, this last year uh, for our trumpet player in the Outrageous State. I produced his individual solo album, and I sang that song with a trumpet solo. Um, and so Bonnie Raitt. Um, am I supposed to do three? Oh, you can do one more. Uh, okay. Um, you know, uh, so I, those two are amazing to me because they're amazing writers. Um, and you know what? Back in the day, I did um, a ballet TV show as a prop actor. And you know who one of my favorite singers is? Is Sutton Foster. I think she's oh, yeah. amazing. And actually, we were good buddies when she lived on the West Coast um, a little bit more. And she's just an incredible singer. I went to her show in Palm Springs and was blown away. So that's my third. Wow. And Therese, your favorite audience interaction with your show? My favorite audience interaction with my show. Um, I don't know why this keeps popping in my head, but Andrea Markovici came on uh, Saturday night and I was just floored that she was there. You know, that meant a lot to me that she was there. Um, so it's just the people that took the time to come, you know, every single person that comes it, that, and getting to talk to them afterwards. I always feel like I don't get enough time to say thank you properly to everybody, but it's, uh, yeah. Well, this is your chance right now. Um, I want to thank you all. I mean, this hour has flown. Um, thank you. You all inspire me. Angela, getting to know you, I'm now a fan. I'm going to be um, like a stalker. <laughs> in the best way, Therese and Mary can tell you it's in the best way always. <laughs> because I, you know, first of all, I, I just, a, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Provincetown. Um, and it felt so good to be back in Provincetown, uh, to be doing it on my terms, to do it the way that I wanted to do. And it seems like with all three of you, you're doing it on your terms. And that's what it's about in this business. I mean, um, it, it's very interesting. Um, and I'm going to talk about this in my closing remarks. Joan Rivers, uh, when everything hit the fan with her and Johnny Carson, and go and do a little research if you don't know what I'm talking about, um, it was being announced everywhere. And I remember it like it was yesterday because I watched the Johnny Carson show religiously. And uh, everybody was being bandied about as who would be the uh, successor to him. The one name that was not being bandied about was the one woman who was the very first female co-host. She had worked uh, very hard. Uh, when she was a guest on the show, I didn't know this, she did not have any creative control over who her guest would be because there was this tinge of jealousy that Johnny had towards her. And so when Fox came knocking at the door and gave her this opportunity, um, nothing was announced, nothing was said, nothing was done until she uh, uh, agreed when she signed the contracts. The first person she called was Johnny Carson and he hung up the phone on her and never spoke to her again. And he never forgave her because he felt that she had stabbed him in the back. Mm -hmm. He was leaving. He was already planning on moving on. So rather than being happy with her success, he felt, took it as a personal affront on him. Uh, but she said that at this point, it was like all of a sudden the industry came after her.
Mm -hmm. and she was blackballed. It took her years before she could get work. She literally had to crawl her way up. Uh, she was fired. Uh, she threw an ashtray because she was frustrated. Speaking of tempers, she was uh, frustrated one day, threw an ashtray, and Barry Diller, who was the head of Fox Television at the time, uh, she received an, uh, a memo saying that she was being fired because rumor had it that she had trashed her dressing room. Mm. She said, come and see my dressing room. I mm. threw an ashtray. I admit that. I was angry. Um, it's interesting in this business how we all literally are trying to find our little niche. And we do what we do for the love of performing. We should be paid for what we do. And yet it becomes frustrating because of the egos of other people in the industry feeling that they are not going to get their piece of the pie or they're not getting enough or whatever. And that's what it all boils down to. There truly is enough to go around. All of us have a unique place in this business and we all should have the chance to do our art uh, with as long as you're not infringing on uh, the the rights of other people. Uh, think about the next time you download a song from Spotify or anything that artists are losing out on these opportunities. Um, I'm going to give each of you a chance to give your final word uh, today about me about anything that we spoke about today that you want to build upon. Anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had, or just any final message that you want to leave everyone with. I'll go with you, Mary, first, and then you'll be followed by Angela, and then Therese, you'll have the final word. And when you say your final word today, uh, the credits will roll. Uh, but I end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Pick up the phone, go to your Facebook friends list, and the fifth name that pops up, reach out with a phone call. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, but a phone call. And let that person know how they've made an impact on your life. And trust me, by doing so, you're going to make an impact on their life. I want all of you to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and you truly will make a difference in that person's life. Uh, I have a dear friend, Sean Moniger, and he says, we are all in the same storm, but we're in different size boats. And I always say, I don't care what size boat you're on, as long as you have a skipper by your side. <laughs> and with that, I'm going to leave the screen. And Mary, it's all yours. Thank you all and make it a great week. Uh, as we all end August, end on a high note and make September be the best September possible. Mary, it's all yours. Thank you so much, Richard and everyone. Um, as performers, we often get upset at ourselves and get down and kick ourselves when we mess up. And so considering that today is kiss and makeup day, mm -hmm. one of the things I'd like to share is that just kiss and make up with yourself. If even in life, if you feel get down on yourself because you made a mistake, you forgot to whatever it is, don't forget to forgive yourself. Thank you. Good night. Wow. That's beautiful, Mary. Um, I think it's been a really inspirational um, conversation to me. And, um, and I 
my final word uh, for, I'm not sure how it would apply to kissing and making up, but my final word would be, I hope that it gives some hope to younger folks who are coming into the industry um, who might think like, oh, how will I ever make this work? Um, I think that there are opportunities and I would hope that this show and shows like it would give folks who are coming into the industry um, a little bit more hope as they start out as youngsters. So thank you guys and good night. I would just say thanks to everyone who's uh, who's come to see my show and who's watching today. And thanks, Richard, for everything, all your support and your fabulous work uh, interviewing all of us and your support of the creative community. Thanks for um, inviting me here today. We had some technical difficulties. I'm on my phone. It, it, I just was a little flabbergasted. And I'm so grateful to be part of this today. Thank you so much.